Girl, I had something funny to say for a cold open, but then we started recording and you just burst into tears for no reason. So here we are. <laughs> yeah. I very calmly said, I feel a cry coming on. Yeah. <laughs> and then you were immediately hysterical. And I felt very seen. I felt very seen, girl. <laughs> Hi, Ellen Marsh. Hi, Patricia. I'm okay. I'm okay. I'm okay, everybody. I'm okay. I know you are. You guys, look, I got to tell you, join the Patreon. If you want more Ellen and me, we are right now recapping episodes of Snapped, which is bananas. It's just about crazy ladies killing dudes. Uh, Yeah, honestly, it's a pretty good time. We're also going to be playing trivia once a month. And I think we might throw in some extra little fun get togethers there if you guys are really, really nice to us. Yeah, you guys. So it's three full bonus episodes per month, plus the podcast version of our Friday Night Live every single week. There's ad free episodes, the trivia, which is just going to be like a community event once a month. I don't know, girl. It's going to be crazy. It's going to be crazy, but I'm really, really looking forward to it. I know. Me too. Also, join the Facebook group, you guys. It's the Obsessed with Disappeared podcast discussion group. It's the place to be on the internet. I know. And every Friday night at 6 p.m. Eastern, we go live on our Instagram, The Disappeared Pod. We recap the episode. We give you thoughts that have sort of marinated over the week. Anything (laughs) that we've like thought about past. Or we say, you know, we talk about what you guys have DM'd us. We take your questions. Patrick has a screamsicle. I usually end up telling like a personal story from my life that's rather embarrassing. The next morning I wake up wishing I hadn't done that. Yeah, I do that sometimes. Not on here, but sometimes I do things and I lay awake and go like, oh, I I can think of a hundred different ways I could have handled that better. Like the time you told the lady at CVS that you loved her. (laughs) That's one of them. That's one of them. All right, you guys, Disappeared, Season 3, Episode 10. Oh, my God, the story of the Springfield Three. Oh, my gosh. Cheryl Levitt, her daughter, Susie Streeter, and Susie's friend, Stacy McCall, mysteriously vanish just hours after attending the girls' high school graduation. Now you have three females that have just basically vanished without a trace. There's an initial shock that is overwhelming. It was just a nightmare. I've got to start trying to find her now. But this bizarre missing persons case fuels more rumors than answers. If they find remains there, then we're going to have to deal with it. I believe that the three missing women are buried close to Springfield. I am willing to be wrong. Prove me wrong. Prove me wrong. You guys, it opens like Christopher right at the top. He's trolling us. He goes, February 1992. It's a bitter winter in the Queen City of the Ozarks. Springfield, Missouri. And I went, what, girl? Christopher, what poet is writing your copy this week, girl? I just want to know if, like, Winter got cheated on or did, like, Winter <laughs> set, like, unreasonable expectations for themselves? Or, like, Wait, is... why? Oh, because it was a bitter winter? Yeah, because, like, why? <laughs> I, like, was Winter stuck at a job that they didn't like? I'm just wondering to, like, see if my bitter feelings are warranted. Like, why was that uh-huh. winter so bitter? Right, Joe. Jo- Do you know what I mean? Oh, you're funny. So we learn about 42-year-old hairdresser and mother of two, Cheryl Levitt. Cheryl Levitt is moving into a new home with her 19-year-old daughter, Susie Streeter. They're downsizing to a more modest home on Delmar Street after Cheryl's recent divorce. It was a small little house that had incredible potential. And I think at the time she was going to fix it up and flip it and buy a bigger house. Cheryl is a hardworking single mom 
and tries to instill her work ethic in her daughter. Before we get into this, I just want to say, I know that I have, like, shared a lot of my, like, previous job experiences on this podcast or things that... Don't say... No, absolutely not. Things that I've said I wanted to do. No. I think I would have been a really good hairdresser. Honey, you know that being a hairdresser is actually having to cut hair. It's not just talking, honey. <laughs> it's not just talking no, and being like... So... You got a boyfriend? <laughs> like, you actually have to do the thing. I, I think I'd be good at it. I feel like the washing of the hair would be really sensual. I just, I like the idea of it. I mean, honestly, I would love to say yes to this, but I actually okay. wouldn't love to say yes. Are you going to put your foot down? Is this a hard no? Is this a hard pass for you? No, Patricia. All right. <laughs> So Cheryl, the 42-year-old hairdresser, and her 19-year-old daughter, Susie Streeter, are moving into a new home together. And we meet the other member of this family, who, his name is Bart. He's Cheryl's son and Susie's brother. And he's telling us that, like, they were downsizing, and the mom was, like, this really hard worker. And she was going to maybe flip the house and sell it. I was like, you get it, Cheryl, the hairdresser. Yeah, I thought that was very sweet. Recently divorced, she's like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to take this house. I'm going to flip it for some cash. That's what I'm going to do. I was like, go for it. Susie is a senior at Kickapoo High School and works at the local movie theater after school. A few months after the move, Susie begins focusing on her upcoming high school graduation. She is spending a lot of time with her friend, Stacy McCall, who she's known since childhood. Her daughter Susie is a senior at Kickapoo High School, and I just wrote, is there a joke there? That That's all <laughs> I wrote. What's the joke? Here's I, my joke. Okay, go. My joke is that Kickapoo sounds like a breed of fancy dogs that only gays are allowed to have. It's a Kickapoo. Yeah, I feel like it could be a dance move. It'd be like a five, six, seven, eight. Kickapoo <laughs> and turn around. Then you go to the left and you go to the... Patrick, that Kickapoo was horrible. <laughs> Okay, that works. I like it better like when you're at the breeder or like you're at the shelter because you're supposed to rescue dogs and you're like, I'm wondering if you guys have any kickapoos. Yeah. We do. <laughs> Sir, are you an, are you a certified homosexual? Yeah. yeah. Actually, yes, I am. Yes, ma'am. <laughs> that works. That works. I didn't know where the joke was and you found it. That's why we're a duo. We find out that Susie worked at a movie theater as her after school job. I actually, I always wanted to work in a movie theater just for the free movies because like every job you have or had as a teenager was basically like, this is the thing I I want to get for free. <laughs> Not me, girl. I had bills to pay. <laughs> I was a dishwasher. I wasn't taking home any of the silverware, girl. <laughs> I worked at the Gap because I wanted to get my clothes half off. See, the thing, this is where we have to really, I've avoided this subject with you for two decades. Okay. But like, you really weren't as poor as I was, girl. I don't know if I was as poor as you were. I really don't know. We were poor. Oh my God. You definitely were not as poor as me. But I, look, the reason I've avoided this for two decades is because I don't, it's, it doesn't, it shouldn't matter. Right. The fact is we both survived. Right. But like, I was a dishwasher while you were folding t-shirts at your air-conditioned gap. Okay, you were poorer. <laughs> I... <laughs> Thank you. Sweet vindication. I don't, Sweet vindication. I, I don't know. I don't know why. I don't know why this is a priority at this time, but I'm not going to question you any further. I uh -huh. love you. Okay. You were poor. I was... Less poor. Less poor. Right. So it's May 1992, and Susie and her friends, Janelle and Stacy, they're all like super excited about senior week. You know, it was senior week, and they had a lot of activities. They were, you know, going to the senior breakfast that type of organization type thing. They started focusing back on their childhood. They were realizing that not all of them were going to be going to college and that they would kind of split apart a little bit. We all 
also learned that the Kickapoo High School is planning an alcohol-free graduation. My sentiment was when I heard that the prom committee was having like a lock-in alcohol-free party. I was like, oh, they're supplying the booze for free? Yeah, I know. Oh, this high school Kickapoo. You do have a gay principal, don't you, girl? Come to prom. The alcohol's free. Patrick, that's not that's not what that means, Patrick. It's alcohol-free. <laughs> that's not what it means. That's not what it, what does that mean? Wait, what do you, so we can pay for it? No, no, no. It means it, we're alcohol free. No alcohol. Yeah, that prom's not going to work for me. <laughs> and so the three girls here, Janelle and Stacy and Susie were like, yeah, no, thanks. No, we're going to pass. Yeah. That's going to be a hard no for us. <laughs> they just decided to skip that shit altogether. And I was like, these girls, they were the cool girls and they had other plans. Yeah. I didn't go to my senior prom because I refused to be breathalyzed. Are you serious? Also, no one wanted to date me. <laughs> <laughs> I went to a prom every single year I was in high school, starting as a freshman. With girls? Yes. And well, because, because you know, upperclassmen who can't get dates always need the gay guy. So, like, I was in high demand come prom season, girl. I went to every prom my school had. Everyone would rather go with a cute, funny gay than, like, a bro <laughs> can on the head asshole any day. Totally. They had a pledge that they had to sign that they would come without any alcohol or anything else and would be there all night long and they could not leave. They would be locked in. But the girls decide not to sign up and make their own plans. They wouldn't have been unlocked until about eight o'clock the next morning, which would have changed things dramatically. So it's graduation day, June 6th, 1992 at 4 p.m. They go to their graduation and then they all go do things with their families and have dinner and they all decide that they're going to meet up at Janelle's house and then go party hopping later that night. There was a series of parties that the girls were to attend that evening and then travel to Branson, Missouri, which is approximately 30 minutes from here. The girls plan to sleep in a motel in Branson, close to Whitewater, an outdoor water park where they will enjoy their first full day of summer vacation. They were getting up bright and early to go to a water park to kick off the summer. Now, okay, I hate water parks with the white hot intensity of a thousand burning suns. I love water parks. Absolutely not. I just feel like all I can see is skin suit. Oh. I just feel like I'm swimming in people's skins. So they actually bag that idea because they don't want to drive to Branson, which they probably were drinking. Of so I, I completely support. Yeah. yeah. I support that idea. So they decide to crash at Janelle's. Now, remember, Janelle is the friend that was like, I'm friends with both of them separately. Right. So, <laughs> But like the whole thing about that, though, is that like when it comes to go to bedtime, Janelle's parents are like, oh, yeah, no. Yeah, no, you can't actually stay here, though. <laughs> After a long night of celebrating, the girls are ready to settle in for the night. But Janelle's house is packed with out-of-town relatives. They can't stay there after all. My whole family lives in Kansas, and everybody came for my graduation. So therefore, there was not a lot of room. Their plans change again. Janelle stays at her own house. But Susie and Stacy decide to go to Susie's house on Delmar Street. So what happens is, like, Janelle's parents are like, yeah, that's a no for us, dog. Right. Susie and Stacy decide they're going to go back to Stacy's house and just crash there. And then the next morning, they're all going to get up and go to the water park together. And, like, Stacy doesn't tell her mom that the plan has changed and that she's going to Susie's. And, like, oh, that just, like, as a parent, that just gives me agita. I just can't handle that idea. It's a bright, sunny morning when Janelle wakes up. But she gets no phone call from her friends. It was probably, like, 9 o'clock when I woke up. I hadn't heard from him, so I called. No one answered. Janelle calls the house many times, trying to reach her friends Susie and Stacy, but no one answers. 
Mike, my boyfriend, picked me up, and so we went to Susie's house. I had never been to the house before. This They had just moved there recently. Janelle's boyfriend, Mike, shows up, and they're like, let's just go over to Susie's house and, like, wake these bitches up so we can go to the goddamn water park. I think 9 a.m. is a late start if you're trying to get to the water park on the first day of summer. I mean, if you could kindly go back to the episode where I talk about how I treat <laughs> Six Flags, sure. <laughs> I am at the gate at opening. Like, I know the cleaning crew. Absolutely. Frankly, I feel like these girls are doing the water park wrong. Yeah. So Janelle and Mike get to Susie's house, and... Oh God, this story is like really famous. So I know a lot of these like elements and it's just like still my heart is pounding. They're like walking up to the front porch and there's glass everywhere. And they look up and you know, like how like a porch light has like a light bulb, but then there's like a globe covering that light bulb. The globe has shattered and there's glass all over the ground. Janelle immediately notices that the globe covering the porch light at Susie's house is shattered, but the light bulb itself is intact. Nobody answers the door but they think perhaps they are still sleeping. She and Mike grab a broom and sweep up the mess. And so Mike just cleaned it up just to do a nice thing. Mike, the boyfriend, just like being a good dude, decides he's going to sweep it up. I know. And I'm like, oh, God, it's evidence. Like, the evidence tampering that they all do by accident starts here. And everyone has good intentions, but it's like, oh, God, we might have been able to get some answers to this. I just also want to say when they pulled up, everybody's car was there and accounted for. Right. So then Mike and Janelle, like, let themselves in. And it's just like, no, I'm just screaming, like, don't do it. We just went on in and was yelling for him, and no one answered. In the bathroom, you could tell they took their makeup off. The jewelry was sitting there. The washcloths where they used to take their makeup off was sitting there. And so they're calling for them throughout the house. Nobody answers. They're kind of just roaming around, which, by the way, also feels, like, very presumptuous to me. You know, I'm, like, waiting for, the, like, somebody to come out of the bathroom naked and be shocked that these strangers have just let themselves in. Right. I think it was weird because the cars might have been there, and I just imagine them inching in, like, hey. Uh-huh. And, like, one more step in. Guys, one more step in. Anybody away? Uh-huh. You know what I mean? Like, the beds look uh-huh. slept in. They had taken off their makeup. Their jewelry was taken off. It seemed like everybody was there, but they were not there. Basically no indication that there was anything out of the ordinary other than maybe they just weren't there at the time. But as the minutes tick by in the empty house, Janelle can't help but sense that something just doesn't seem right. So Janelle says that, like, she can sort of sense that something is wrong. Like, the family dog, Cinnamon, is, like, running around scared and wants to be helped. And she says, Susie and Cheryl's cigarettes and lighter were left on the table. And we get 10 minutes (laughs) from everybody who has ever met them about how, like, Susie nor the mom would ever, ever, ever have gone anywhere without the cigarettes. My mom was a chain smoker. She went everywhere with her cigarettes. I mean, if she got out of bed and went into the living room to say something, she brought a cigarette with her. I was just like, oh my God. Do you know how I feel about smoking indoors? Yeah. Do you know how I feel about that? We literally get five minutes of everyone saying like what a chain smoker Cheryl was. I went, Cheryl, we need to talk about this. I know. We really need to talk about this. So Janelle and sweet boyfriend Mike are super confused. She's like, did they did they go to the water park without me? But all their cars were there. It just didn't make sense. So, okay, now this is weird. All right. This is fucking crazy what happens now. All right. So before Janelle and Mike leave the house, they're feeling super weird being there, which I totally understand. Mike is just cleaning. Mike is like walking around just straightening things <laughs> up. Thanks, Mike. He's like, oh, there's ashes everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> Mike and Patrick are best friends because Mike loves cleaning, which we learned last episode. Apparently, Patrick loves cleaning too. Maybe Mike can work for my cleaning service. Oh, God, please don't. 
But the phone rings. Just then, the phone at the Del Mar house rings. And when Janelle Kirby answers, she is confronted by a strange and disturbing call. So here's my question. Before we talk about what was on the phone, yeah. would you answer the phone? Oh, uh, like, I don't understand. Like, number one, this is a new house like that Susie and Cheryl have just moved into. But it's not like Janelle grew up coming to this house. Janelle feels very comfortable just sort of acting very at home in this house. Right. I was just going to say, and also, like, this is like a horror movie scene to me. Like, they're in this house. Things are weird. Everyone's feeling weird. And then the phone rings. I'm jumping out of my skin. Because when you answer the phone, someone's obviously going to be like, I'm going to gut you like a fish. Yeah. <laughs> Scream. Um, <laughs> But, like, I, I at first I was like, Ew, why would you answer someone's home phone? But then maybe her brain was like, ah, maybe that's Susie. I just thought it was weird that she picked up. It's very weird. Because I feel like I would look at at super clean, way too helpful boyfriend Mike and be like, yeah. should I answer that? I feel like I shouldn't answer that. No, you're going to answer the phone of your friend? That's crazy. Right, but it gets crazier because when she does answer the phone, there's like a sexual heavy breather on the other end. Now, remember, this is 1992. No caller ID. No star 6'7". So she was freaked out and hung up the phone, which I probably would have done too. I mean, we don't know. What, what are you going to entertain the guy being like, oh, I want to touch your boobs? No, you hang up on that call, Ellen. Yeah, I'm sure it was that benign. (laughs) Oh, I want to touch your boobs. (laughs) It was was probably disgusting. more to the point of why you should hang up. I love that you're like, would I have hung up? I don't know. <laughs> Something, just talk to the guy, girl. See what he really wants. I'd be like, so what else are you going to do? <laughs> and then just freak them out. But do you know that, honestly, the sex phone calls was a thing that, like, gays used to do in the 70s in New York. They would just call, like, a number that they knew was in the West Village, which was, like, a gay neighborhood. And, like, some dude would answer, and they would just, like, talk dirty to each other. It was, like, a real thing. The poor gays in the 70s. Poor thing. They were working so hard. And now it's just like you have an app that tells you how many feet dick is away from you. It's really true. I don't have that app because I am married. But some people do have that app. I know. I mean, the 70s gays walked so the current gays could run, honestly, with their anonymous sex phone calls. I know. They worked so hard for you. I know. I stand on their shoulders. You appreciate an old gay today, right this minute. Wait, so then she hangs up the phone. She's like, oh my God, you'll never guess what happened. That was a creepy sex. Bring, bring. Mike can't hear her anyway because he's vacuuming out one of the bedrooms. <laughs> you know, yeah. well, honey, I'm sorry. I'll be done in just a minute. He's Marie condoing everything. <laughs> he's like, do you know they have six different garbage bags here? Excessive. We got to do the garage before we leave. I, it's, it's a mess, I say. Do you think they've got Clorox? Is that, is that the smell too pungent? Anyway. So, Mike. While Mike is cleaning the air vents, um, they get another call, <laughs> and they get another, another dirty call. Or Mike's at the baseboards. He's like, "What?" <laughs> Just. <laughs> oh God! Yeah. She's like, "Mike, get over here!" He's like, "One second. These baseboards haven't been cleaned in years." So Janelle leaves the house. Mike's got seven garbage bags worth of things. And he feels real accomplished. You know what I mean? Like Mike loves a good, tidy house. So 
Janelle and Mike leave. So Stacy, one of the girls that we can't find, her mom and her older sister are going wedding dress shopping. I was like, oh no. Like Stacy's older sister's getting married. Yeah, I know. And the mom calls. She calls Janelle's because last she heard they were staying at Janelle's house. Of course. Janelle's sister answered the phone and she said she's not here. She said at the last minute, Stacy had decided to go and spend the night with Susie. Janice is unhappy that Stacy didn't tell her about her change of plans, but there's nothing she can do for the moment. She doesn't have the new phone number for Susie's family's home on Delmar Street, so she goes to the bridal salon. She's irritated with her daughter, but believes she will see her later that day. So Stacy's mom is like, listen, Susie just moved. I don't even have the number to the new house. Remember house phones? I know. Stacy's mom is annoyed, but she goes on with her day. She's got to go wedding dress shopping. And she's like, I'll track down Susie's new house phone number. So she does and she calls and she calls and there's no answer. So we're going on 15 hours here of nobody hearing from these three women. So Mama Janice, Stacy's mom, has heads over to the new house and she also decided to walk into the house. Well, it's spotless, the house. Yeah. You know, you know <laughs> what I mean? She's like, I wasn't going to let myself in, but oh my God, it is clean in here. Those sconces are, are <laughs> glow. I can see my reflection in those sconces. Just like Janelle hours earlier, Janice notices some unusual things about the way the house was left. Her daughter's clothes from the previous night are neatly folded on the floor but her t-shirt and underwear are missing. I noticed that the TV was all fuzzy. Stacy's purse was sitting right next to Susie's purse and right next to that on the floor was Susie's mom Cheryl's purse. And I thought that was kind of strange. I think that's when I started feeling this is not right. And I think something that they didn't keep emphasizing in the show was again, all the cars were there. Right. So where else would you be in Springfield, Missouri, if you were running an errand or going to the water park? All the cars were there and no one is there. So now Stacy's mom calls the police. She's like, I think she's missing. This is bananas because the police say to Stacy's mom, girl, we are totally going to take a missing persons report. No question about it. It's a little late, though. So we're probably just going to get on that tomorrow. Yeah. He's like, uh, listen, I call it quits here at 530. It's 550. <laughs> I know. It's so much paperwork for a missing yeah. person. Yeah. Could you do me a solid and just call me tomorrow? Oh, also, when you call tomorrow, if you could also come by with their dental records. This fucking cop over the phone says dental records. But again, girl, tomorrow. I'll, I'll take all of that from you tomorrow. But Janice is like, if you're asking for dental records, you are automatically assuming that they're dead. Number one. Number two, like, is this cop asking her to get, like, Cheryl and Susie's dental records? Right. No. I mean, the questions go from zero to crazy faster than when I don't answer a FaceTime from you. But <laughs> at the same time, his response is so dichotomous because he's like, chill, we'll do it tomorrow. But also the thing that might help us find a body is the thing right. I need you to bring in. <laughs> also, do you know anybody with a cadaver dog? That would be so yeah. helpful. Do you know anybody? And Stacy's sweet Missouri mom's like, okay, I'd be like, bitch. I know. You're getting some OT tonight <laughs> because we're staying at that place until this shit. I know. You're calling it a day? 
But then, so Janet's mom, she's like, well, if the police aren't going to start till tomorrow, I'm starting right fucking now. And I said, in the down bitchiest moment of the episode, remember graduation was like two days ago? She goes and she has, I'm going to say a lot of words that some of you might not understand at all. Right. She goes and gets her photos from graduation developed. Right. You guys, that takes a minute. And then she goes to like a Kinko's and puts together a missing persons flyer of her kids. With a Xerox machine. Right? So I feel like developed Xerox and Kinko's are words you might all have to urban dictionary. Yeah, I'm, she goes into don't fuck with me bitch mode in 0.00 seconds. You see her like actual news footage of her like kicking open doors to supermarkets being like, hello, you will be hanging this in your window. Thank you. And the lady taking it from her. She's like, uh-huh. Okay. Yes, ma'am. Yeah, yes, you're so right. She's like, hey, do you have tape? Because I'm hanging this here. Hi, uh, I'm Mrs. McCall and this is my daughter. Okay. And... They're missing, and we'd like to put posters in your windows, on your doors. Okay. Soon, they appear across the country, dubbed by the media as the Springfield Three. Now we learn that the police have developed a timeline. Pull over. Oh, boy. Pull over. Okay. This timeline's real extensive, everybody. <laughs> by now, police have developed a timeline. Sometime between the hours of 2 a.m. when the teenagers left Janelle Kirby's house and 8 a.m. when people started calling Susie's house, Something happened to the three women. They have a meeting. Everyone's got their pens ready. They're like, all right, something happened. So basically, like, from the time the last person saw them to the time they didn't answer their phone, something happened. But then we also, like, we also learned that while Janice, Stacy's mom, while she's in Cheryl and Susie's house looking for her daughter, she listens to Cheryl and Susie's answering machine messages. Like, what? During Janice's frantic search, she played Cheryl and Susie's answering machine most likely erasing a message that may have contained a clue for investigators. There was a particular um, phone call that was received that evening that the police were very interested in. Then once you listen to it, unless you save it, it automatically rewinds because you don't want to waste that precious cassette tape. Right, right. And the messages tape over the other messages every time. And like the cops are telling us this was probably a really vital piece of information that got lost. Cuts to Janice. She's like, there was a kind of a strange message. It was a man, and I don't remember what the message was. And somehow, it got deleted. You know, it was a real strange message. It was a man. I don't really remember what the message was. And I, in my brain, I feel like Janice is like, you know, it was something about, I kidnapped these three women in this house. If you want to get them back, <laughs> call me at, but I really don't remember much. I know. At first, I was like, what? And then I realized, like, she was just probably, like, zoned out, like, in a state of shock, like, just like a, you know, a zombie. Yeah. But probably that would have cracked the case, so. Yeah, I mean, but it's like, that is just like, oh my God. I mean, I just can't, like, it's a piece of evidence you can, that was there that you can never get back. Because it wasn't digital. It was like, it was on like actual cassette tape. It is bananas to me. Yeah. So then because of the missing persons posters that they put up, loads of tips start coming in. We hear that a waitress at a restaurant they used to frequent, it was a diner girl, by the way. (laughs) You guys, I was real big in the diner scene. I stand by it. I stand by it. So a waitress said that she saw the three of them eating between the hours of 1 and 3 a.m. And I can totally see that happening. You know, after you're hanging out, partying, people go to the diner. But this is the window, though. This is the window of time that the cops are saying something happened to them. Right. So other than that person, that waitress, they can't link anybody else to seeing or corroborating that story at all. So this is where we go back to Bart, Susie's brother, Cheryl.
Daryl's son. And we just learned that they've had a tumultuous and strained relationship. When he was 17 years old, she basically was like, he had a drinking problem. And she said, if you want to live under my house, you got to follow my rules. And Bart moved away for 10 years. He had a problem with alcohol. And Cheryl was super triggered by that because a lot of men in her life had struggled with alcohol addiction. And she just didn't want to see that. And so also like Bart becomes like suspect number one. And like Bart is saying like he was super cooperative with them. He goes downtown and he says to them like, I couldn't have murdered them. I had been drinking for like 24 hours straight at that point. And I was passed out face down on the couch. And I just went, girl, like, girl, yeah. like when, when I hear a thing and I'm like, that's drinking to excess, you might have a problem. <laughs> you, you might have a problem. And so <laughs> Bart's girlfriend also corroborated his alibi. And I just imagine the girlfriend being like, yes, that good for nothing drinks too much. I didn't get sex that night. He passed out. Actually, I feel like I want to break up with him after this conversation. But no, he had nothing to do with that. Like, she's just like a bitch on a rampage. But also the neighbor, like the girlfriend and also the neighbor. And I'm like, who's the nosy neighbor? that knows that Bart was passed out face down on the couch. Bart, girl, it's okay to have a cocktail, girl. You just gotta reel it in. <laughs> you gotta reel it in, Bart. Bart lives right next to Tara Grinstead's old apartment <laughs> and the neighbors are just... <laughs> always have a lookout. Anybody that is close to the family, and especially men that are close to the family, brother, husband, boyfriend, you're initially considered a suspect. There was nothing I was not willing to tell them, and there was, nothing, there was nothing that I didn't tell them. He was cooperative, and he did talk to the police and did cooperate with interviews and showed a strong interest in the case from the beginning. Bart Streeter passes a polygraph and is cleared as a suspect. So they start to look into Susie's past and they start to hone in on her ex-boyfriend named Dustin Reckla. So I just want to say, we're going to get a story about Dustin. We're going back into the past. It wasn't super clear to me in the episode. The story that we're going to get about Dustin and his friend Mike happens before the girls go missing. Right, a couple months before they go missing. The couple split when Dustin was arrested for vandalism at a local cemetery. Police wonder if this crime could be linked to a motive in the disappearance. After driving around one night, Dustin and his friends vandalized a mausoleum. And the following morning, kids found skulls in a tree at a local park. Dustin and Mike had been arrested for vandalizing a cemetery. Who and I was does like, that? I know. I Who was like, I get that? that it's Missouri, but right. can you be a little more creative? I mean, did you like cow tip as well. Like if you're going to- I know. I mean, you're going to go and and I, that is just so, so disrespectful and just, just gross. But it wasn't like, when you think of vandalism, you're thinking like they're kicking over headstones, which is fucking monstrous enough. You guys, that's not what they were doing. Oh my God. This is so fucking ghoulish. I don't even know. Like it's so fucking, pull over. Yeah. Pull over. Yeah. They broke into a mausoleum where they were taking human skulls and taking the gold fillings from the- the teeth, but they were also taking the skulls themselves. They took skulls from this mausoleum and put them in trees in a park that little kids found the next day. I know. What is the official term for being a sick fuck? Is there like an official term? I'm going to go with hashtag sick fuck. I think that's good enough. I think, okay, great, great. I mean, girl, can you imagine a world in which you, for any reason, under any circumstances, are actually handling a skull? An actual real human skull. No, I have a strict no deals with the devil policy. 
I do not get involved in that kind of crazy shit. I also just think that's super disrespectful. Listen, I do too. And I, like, I would say I'm never touching a human skull, but if I was offered, like, a flat stomach in return for a deal with the devil, I would, I would strong, it's a strong consider, Satan. It's a, it's a strong consider, girl. Okay. I'm going to pretend like I didn't hear that. Patricia just wants to look good in a t-shirt. Summer's coming, you guys. I know. You look great in a t-shirt. Thank you so much. My shirts keep getting smaller. I don't know what's happening. The dryer, honey. The dryer. It's, <laughs> it's, it's tightens, tightens that cotton. <laughs> Steve, Ellen says it's the dryer. It's not the vodka. We're good. <laughs> keep, let's keep going with the vodka, girl. So the reason we know that they've extracted gold teeth from this skull is because a couple days later, they get a tip that some people were selling gold teeth at a pawn oh shop. Oh, my God. I mean, there is nothing more bone chilling than the thought of someone pulling out someone's oh. teeth. So, but they get this tip from like a pawn dealer who like calls the cops. He's like, um, hi, 911. I own a pawn shop and these freaky fucking kids just came in and sold a bunch of like gold fillings from local skeletons. Do you want to come down here and get some more information? And these idiots, Mike and Dustin, who did the selling, gave the pawn shop guy their ID. I know. The whole point of this story is that these kids got in trouble for this. Like, big trouble, obviously. And Susie, because she was dating one of them, this is like before they go missing, Susie gives a statement about like, yeah, these dirtbags fucking did this. Then she breaks up with him. And so the question is, like, were these boys involved in like kidnapping her and Stacy and her mother as revenge? Right. So we're back in the present tense, June 11th, 1992. And so we're a few days into the investigation of the Springfield Three and Dustin and Michael are brought back into the police station for questioning. And of course, Michael being 17, thinking that he's invincible, said something to the police to the effect of like, yeah. like I wish those bitches were dead or yes, something, which yes. is a really great way to kickstart an interrogation. <laughs> a news crew in Springfield reports to the community that Michael Clay makes some incriminating statements during his interrogation. And he stated he wished those bitches were dead. And when I heard that, a chill went up my spine. If he was hoping they were dead, did he do it? Why on earth would this young man want them dead? And then for them to be missing, it's never made any sense. Yeah, I mean, it seems like these guys didn't do it. They were just idiots. Later on, that kid, Michael, was like, uh, I just didn't like the guy that was questioning me, so I was fucking with him. Like, boys are the fucking dumbest. I know, I know. I'm so sorry that you have to marry them. I'm really sorry about that. Yeah, I'm really, I'm taking into question a lot of my life decisions. I'm telling you, you're getting lesbian proposals on this podcast all the time. <laughs> So, of course, they deny having anything to do. Dustin said he was at a concert or something. I was like, oh, the Indigo Girls were in town? Dustin's a huge <laughs> fan, girl. Dustin is a huge IG fan. I'm assuming it was a Nomads Indian Saints tour. World falls on me. Yeah, was it that one? Do you think it was front row? The Indigo Girls are not a sponsor of Obsessive Disappear. <laughs> So it's been four weeks since the women have been missing and Christopher is saying that the family and the police are, are, are sort of at a loss until a new and sort of terrifying piece of information comes to light about possibly connected to the disappearance. person reported she was on her front porch at 6.30 to 7 o'clock a.m. on Sunday and observed a van turning around. She thought it was Susie Streeter that was driving the van. It's a disturbing story. Even though the sighting takes place in a neighborhood over a mile east of the house on Delmar Street, police believe it's a solid lead. There's a 
woman who says that she was like sitting on her front porch between 6.30 and 7 in the morning, sees a white van, like pull, like obviously having made a wrong turn, like a young girl driving this white van, desperately trying to turn around. And like, she tells the police that she's pretty sure that it was Susie. And she hears a guy that she can't see from like somewhere inside the van saying, don't do anything stupid. Just turn around and get us out of here. And I'm like, this woman waited four weeks to come forward with this information? Yeah, it was. Uh, also, how could you hear that at six o'clock in the morning before your coffee. I'm so confused. So <laughs> like, she's just like, what did he say? Like, <laughs> but like, you know, yeah. And, and the, the woman says that she sees a missing person's flyer later. That's how she realizes, but she's convinced that was Susie. Right. And they describe the van as being like a 1960s panel van. Right. The woman was like, it's white. And then another person was like, you know what? It was like a silvery green <laughs> sort of celery. <laughs> and like the paper boy was like, now nah, that van was brown. I'm like, anybody else? So that lead goes nowhere. Now they're getting a tip from Florida, you guys. And so what ends up happening is that they're looking at this guy named Robert Craig Cox, who very likely murdered a woman in Florida in 1978 named Sharon Zellers. Though at the time, they weren't able to prove it because DNA evidence was no good. He was just never charged. They were like, well, that's that's an unexplained crime. Wonder what happened there. And so he then went to the army in California and then was convicted of abducting and assaulting two women. So in 1985, he's brought into custody. While he's in custody in California, they decide to indict him for Sharon Zeller's murder in Florida. They extradite him down. He has a jury trial. He's found guilty and placed on death row. He was found guilty, uh, but then, because Florida's Florida, (laughs) they were like, ugh. I don't know if he's guilty. I love your Florida impression, girl. Oh, Like, Florida's just like, I mean, it's not that crazy. Do you know what I mean? We've seen some crazy shit. It's not that crazy. There was a guy who just locked 35 people in a room and made them play Yahtzee for 72 hours straight without sleeping. I know. True story. Florida's gonna Florida. They've gotta let him go on the Sharon count. And the thing that is so fucking awesome is that Sharon's family decide that if, like, no one else is going to keep tabs on this guy. They're going to keep tabs on him. Yeah, they were like, listen, if y'all are going to do it, guess what we're going to do? We're going to watch this guy like a goddamn hawk. Yeah, so he gets out of jail for the crimes in California and moves back to his hometown of Springfield, Missouri, and the family of Sharon Zellers, who have been watching this guy, they find out that he was in town on the day the women went missing. When they discovered that Cox was in the area when the three women went missing... They tip off the Springfield Police Department. The police begin to zero in on Robert Craig Cox. Cox works as an underground utilities worker, a job which some speculate could be a good con for getting into a stranger's home at 2 a.m. What better ruse in the middle of a night to knock on somebody's door and say, you got a gas problem. You know, he's got the uniform, the truck. absolute down bitch of the episode presents herself very, very late. Um, So we meet Kathy Baird, who is a local reporter. We'll get more into Kathy. But she's like, this is a perfect operation. Like, ma'am, you have a gas problem. Yeah, two in the morning, knock, knock, knock. Kathy even says he's got the uniform and he's got the truck. Can you imagine? Oh, fucking terrifying. Yeah. So Kathy is getting, I'm sending her a hoodie. I mean, she is a down bitch for life. (laughs) 
Yeah, and the other thing is that this Cox guy, he's got an alibi for that day. He's like, couldn't have been me. I have a girlfriend with a kid. And on that Sunday morning, we all went up and went to church together. To which I said, this guy who like killed this girl in Florida, went to jail for assaulting and kidnapping two women in California, has a girlfriend with a kid? Yeah. So we're at March 1995. And Robert Craig Cox is arrested in Texas for aggravated robbery. Girl, what's aggravated robbery? <laughs> I literally wrote down like aggravated robbery, like the robber was just super frustrated. Yeah, like it was like, you give me that money. You put it in this bag. Yeah, like he was like, listen, I don't have time for your shit right now. Okay, <laughs> all right. Put it in the bag. I am aggravated. <laughs> I love that that means that there's a category called like hilarious robbery. Hey, bitch. Yeah. Put it in the bag, bitch. <laughs> But you're like, Patrick, ugh, did you hear that Patrick became a robber? I know, but he's a hilarious <laughs> robber. So to answer your question, I don't know what aggravated robbery is. I really genuinely don't know what it is. Just really annoyed. But the point is, he's in jail in Texas. And so the cops are like, I bet he's not with that girlfriend in Missouri anymore. Let's circle back with her. And she's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. That story was all a lie. Yeah, they're like, oh, I'm so glad you're back. Here's what he really did. <laughs> when they re-interview his former girlfriend... She provides a story very different from her original statement. During this interview, she recanted her previous statement, saying that she had talked to Robert Cox just prior to our interview and that she had indicated she was with him at church when she really wasn't. I would also be like, ma'am, you let this man near your children. You're going to need to look at your taste in men, ma'am. I know. You're going to need to look at it. Are you talking to her or me? Well, I'm looking squarely at you right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's why I wasn't that sort of art imitating life, imitating art thing. Yeah, no, I I will go on the record and say you should probably investigate your taste in men. Yeah, I'm I, I'm on the record with that. I have I have no rebuttal. <laughs> So, you know, we now know that he no longer has an alibi for the morning that these three people went missing. So the cops go to interview him in Texas and they have to go see him three fucking times to get him to talk. And he's doing that annoying fucking man thing where he's giving them like just enough to like maybe imply that he has some information on the case, but not enough to like actually charge him with it. He is infuriating. And then you see him, he gives an interview to some like some like TV reporter. I know that they're dead. I'll say that. I know that. That's not a theory. Yeah, but I know that they're just, I just know that they're dead. I believe that a person who did this had experience, knew what they were doing. I believe that the three missing women are buried close to Springfield. He has the most punchable face I've ever seen. He is a, a shit packet beyond measure. And I just wrote, he's disgusting. He's disgusting. He's disgusting. And he's just an attention seeker. And I don't think he's ever given any information that was ever not publicly available. Like, he's he's just garbage. And so, like, we're kind of back to having no answers. And, like, the episode sort of ends with down bitch Kathy Baird. She's a reporter and she becomes obsessed with the case. And in 2007, 15 years after the disappearance, Kathy's got all of these sources. Sources. And like, if the women were killed and were buried, there's one sort of place that all of her sources point to as like where they were buried. But Kathy Baird believes one of the sites is mentioned by too many sources, too many times to be a coincidence. 
the South Parking Garage at Cox Hospital. Which is the South Parking Garage at Cox Hospital. And so, you know, in 2007, 15 years after the disappearance, Kathy, like, I don't know, like, of her own free will, gets this mechanical engineer, Rick Norland, who, like, is legit. This guy worked at 9-11. Like, he worked at, like, the Twin Towers excavating for bodies. She gets him to come with his ground-penetrating radar to the parking garage. And he does it and, like, finds three anomalies that he says it's what you would see when you're excavating a burial site. He's saying it looks good for three bodies to have been buried in this section. Right. So they were like, we can't dig up this parking lot and dig up the concrete over like these anomalies that we don't know. It wasn't conclusive. You and I have been texting about this all day. I do not agree with that. I don't either. I see no reason why you can't just get a jackhammer in there and just look. I'll pay for it. Yeah, the things that are like, like just get one little like whatever that is. Imagine you could like put this to rest. Like, are you kidding me? Right. And so earlier they had said, well, they kind of feel like they're catching them in something. They said, well, the parking lot hadn't been built till a year after they went missing. And Kathy's like, yeah, bitch, perfect time to bury a body. And then Kathy Baird says the most down bitch thing of it all. (laughs) She goes, prove me wrong. People will tell you that, oh, it couldn't be the site because it was still under construction. Yeah, exactly. If it had been completed, there'd be nothing to it. But it wasn't. I am willing to be wrong. Prove me wrong. No, she's amazing. And I've known about this case for a long time. I am incensed that they have not dug up this parking garage. I am incensed about it. Yeah, I am with you. I don't understand. I don't understand. And that's it. Like, that's the end. Like, as of 2010, there's no, like, they haven't dug up the parking garage. I don't know. Like, that. Like that's kind of how it ends. Do you have updates? I have a couple little things. So the one thing that really got me in this episode was when Stacy's mom said she's been gone now longer than I had her. Oh, my God. Sobbing. I know. And it like hits her as she's saying it. She's like, oh my God. Yeah, as she's saying it. It's so sad. So this case is really like, to your point, has really stayed in the public eye. I mean, I found articles going up to July of 2020. Wow. In 2019, Bart, the son of Cheryl, was arrested on public intoxication and disorderly conduct. So maybe- Oh no, Bart. I thought you were getting it together, girl. Look, just get drunk in your house. Your neighbor doesn't care. Your wife doesn't care. Pass out on the couch. Don't do it in public. Yeah. And so I'm going to monologue for a minute. Oh, here we go. Pull over. (laughs) If she says America, give your kid a screen. It's going to be a minute. (laughs) No, I just thought it was really sad at the end. I got a little weepy, but probably because I'm just like in a weepy mood. Sometimes we just forget to tell the... You're going to be okay? (laughs) Yeah. Sometimes we just forget to tell the people in our lives that they are important. So I just want to put it out there just to like be random today and text someone who's on your mind and send them an unsolicited compliment. And because in our current emotional state is so fragile, I'm not just talking about mine, which clearly (laughs) it has been, but the trauma that we've all experienced this year is vast (laughs) and nothing is promised and everybody deserves forgiveness except for my dad. Fuck that guy. Um, Say something funny. I I hope Mike came back in the weekend and got to those gutters because those gutters are not going to clean themselves, girl. (laughs) Bow, bow, bow. You guys, thank you so much 
much for listening. Listen, if you want more Ellen and me, join us on the Patreon. We've got three full bonus episodes a month, plus our weekly Friday Night Live in podcast form comes out every Monday morning. Monthly trivia for everyone. For everyone on Patreon, we get to be together, thousands of us playing trivia with prizes, like cool fucking prizes. It's going to be so fun. Join us every Friday night at 6 p.m. Eastern for Friday Night Live, where we just talk a bunch of trash. We're at The Disappeared Pod on Instagram. Patrick is at Patrick Hines underscore. I am at Ellen Marsh on Instagram and Ellen Marie Marsh on TikTok. Don't say a word. Don't say a word. I see your mouth open. I'm just saying, can you say our Facebook group before you start shamelessly self-promoting? And join our Facebook group, The Disappeared Pod Discussion Group on Facebook. It's super fun. It's called The Obsessed with Disappeared Podcast Discussion Group. Oh, my lord. I love you, despite your flaws. (laughs) They are vast. I love you. We love you. Bye, you guys. At Kickapoo High School or whatever. How do you say that name seriously? I know. Like, I know. I cannot, like, the mascot for the football team had to be, like, a like like a poodle. Yeah. Like, we're the Kickapoo Poodles. Yeah, we're the Kickapoo Poodles. We're the Kickapoo Poodles. We love you, Oodles. No, that's horrible. <laughs> Do you know my junior year, I I was supposed to go with a guy that I went to elementary school with and he called in sick on our junior prom. He called you and said he was sick? Yeah. And I was flat chested and mortified. Oh, I love you. You're so beautiful and your boobs are huge. (laughs) So you had the last laugh, girl. You for sure had the last laugh. Take that, Andrew Aulis. Anyway, Yorkies are basically (laughs) the Patrick of the dog world. Yeah. Like, like irrational and hysterical, but also very adorable. <laughs> big drinkers, those dogs. Yeah. I hear they, they're real big drinkers. Yeah, I know. Yeah. <laughs> Lots of opinions. She's like, come on, let's get out of here. We've had two prank calls. And he's like, no, I haven't cleaned the oven yet. Just to let it sit for 20 minutes. They get in a fight. Oh they God. break up. They've never been together since. The anyway. phone rings again and she looks around and she looks into the kitchen. Are you defrosting the freezer? <laughs> I honestly could do this all day. Seriously. It's also like, well, they're not here, but their cars are. Does anybody know where the hose is? I'm like, She's going to spray him down. She's going to spray him down. <laughs> it was a very dry summer. It hasn't rained for weeks. Cut them a break. <laughs> oh, God. Okay. we Did we beat that to death? All of a sudden, Janelle's like looking for her bag. She hears the lawnmower go on. What are you doing? Just real quick, real quick. I'm just going to do give it a once over. <laughs> why? What? It, why are we like this? I don't know. So. Oh, my God. So. So. I always remember in World War II during the Holocaust, that's like one of the things that that they did. Hey, girl, anything else you want to say about the Holocaust in our comedy podcast? <laughs> you're nailing it. You're really nailing it, girl. Any, like anything else you want to say about it or you're good? Oh, I'll see you in the outtakes. <laughs> <laughs> he was arrested on the charge of homosexual robbery. Hey! 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 I am stealing all of your fabulousness. Give it to me! <laughs> <laughs>